Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. We are getting ready to move at breakneck speed. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, uh, grab your notes on the inside of your bulletin, because you're going to want to probably write down these references and go back and look them up later, because I'm not going to give you a lot of time to turn to them this morning. And uh, as we start digging into the scriptures, I wanted to... Uh, say thank you for being here. We're always excited to be together, I think. I have heard that reflected in multiple prayers this morning. Uh, just what a blessing it is to gather together with God's people and to be a people together. Uh, and it is that concept of being a people or having fellowship with one another that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, this is uh, a continuation of our series on what it means to be continually devoted and uh, particularly in the concept of fellowship on our key passage of Acts chapter 2 verse 42 which uh, we've already read this morning. Uh, the good news about this sermon is a couple of things. One is it's our last sermon on fellowship. So if you're tired of that word, this is the uh, last time... I won't say that. Never mind. You're, you're going to hear it more. But this is the last sermon that's devoted to that topic. Uh, secondly, um, it, it is also our sermon series solstice. Uh, and what I mean by that is we're halfway through with an extremely long, year-long sermon series. Uh, just like summer solstice was last Sunday, and that means we're halfway through the year. Uh, here we are halfway through the sermon series. Uh, which is, is uh, I, I think, probably a good thing. I'm glad we've survived this long. So uh, I want to, in a sense, basically very quickly go back and summarize today a lot of the things we've already talked about over the past three months. And so I'm just going to quickly bullet point some things and read some passages of Scripture. Uh, I encourage you to write down those references. If I go too fast, feel free to stop me afterward. And I'll look them back up for you. Uh, but then I want to spend the bulk of our sermon today making some personal suggestion, uh, kind of a practical look at some of the things we look at uh, when it comes to fellowship. Uh, so that's a lot to put into a, a, a short sermon. So let's go ahead and jump in. First thing that just kind of bullet pointing the things that we've talked about thus far about fellowship. One is we as a people need to be exclusive. Uh, I know that sounds contrary to popular opinion, but it is a biblical concept. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, there's the statement, for what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside. God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. Uh, so there... It, there is a concept in Scripture of those who are part of the fellowship and those who are outside the fellowship. And so we need to make sure that in our understanding of what the church is and what we are a part of, we also understand that there are those who are outside of 
the group that we are a part of. But lest you think I'm running to extreme, the next point we need to make is that we should be inviting. Uh, we should be uh, inclusive. We should be bringing others in. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 23. If therefore the whole church assembles together and are all speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secret of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. And so while there is a concept of those who are outsiders or unbelievers or those who do not belong to the fellowship of God's people, we should be doing things in a way where they are coming to be a part of who we are and we should be doing things in a way that they can understand so that they will themselves proclaim that God is truly God and that he is among his people. Okay? I'm going to have to get really annoying with this button here. All right. Be purposeful. One of the things we have to do if we're going to be devoted to fellowship is we have to very purposefully do the job of fellowshipping, of building those relationships. Uh, same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything should be done for the, uh, everything is to be done for building up or for edification. Everything we do when we gather together is done with a purpose. And that purpose is that we are edifying and building up one another. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, really the whole context of verse 19 down through verse 25 deals with this idea that when we gather together, we have a purpose in being together. It is not to fulfill our duty. It is not to check off our attendance. It is not to, do those, uh, to, to just make sure that we're doing the things we're supposed to do. It is we gather together to edify and encourage one another. Verse 24 and 25 we're familiar with. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so when we gather together, when we fellowship, when we come and participate together as God's people, we have to purposefully set our minds on encouraging and lifting up each other. If I come just because it's what I'm supposed to do, there's more to it than that. I made some uh, soap boxy comments in Bible class this morning, and I knew that they were kind of a little bit controversial to make comments about uh, whether we should come if we don't really want to come and those types of things. And, and I know that there are always exceptions to the rules. I, I know that there are times when people come because that's the best they can offer right now. I, I understand that. But that is not typically the mindset and attitude of the majority of us. 
My point is not to say if the best you can do is this, then don't offer anything at all. No, the, the point is always do the best you can do. But the best we can do, most of us, is to purposefully, devotedly lift one another up. And we should be doing that. That is part of our job and purpose together. We should be loving if we are fellowshipping together. Uh, we're told, Rev, uh, Romans chapter 12, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Love one another deeply. I love that. I, I'm going to be honest with you, and this is a little bit of a, a hard confession for me to make. I am not naturally a people person. I'll be honest. I, I could go weeks never seeing anyone. You know, I, Facebook a while ago, there was this, this thing passing around. It's like it showed this picture of a cabin way out in the woods, and it said, if you could get a million dollars, would you go live in this thing for a month by yourself with no cell phone? And I'm like, I'd do it for free. I mean, I... That idea of just, I mean, just solitude, wowzers, that's awesome. But God also knows I need you. So God, in his wisdom, put together some rules that said, you need to love one another deeply. I am also naturally one of those people who could show up in a crowd full of people, stay on the side, next to the wall, out of the way, away from the conversation. I can't hear half the conversation anyway because of my bad hearing. And so it's just easier for me to just go to my corner, be comfortable in my corner, and, and then go home. It's not the rule. What we're told is to love one another deeply. Not just be kind to one another, not just have acquaintances, not just make sure you know everybody's name. I'm not even sure that's true in a lot of congregations of God's people. But to love one another deeply. And we're told to be devoted. That same passage of Scripture says uh, there that we should love one another deeply take the lead or be devoted to honoring one another. Uh, the, the New American Standard says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. You see that? Be devoted to each other. You know, I, I understand that now that I'm married. I probably understood it much less before I got married. But the, the amount of energy and effort and attention that goes into being married and to growing a good marriage where we sit and we talk and we spend time together and we enjoy one another's company and that we, we make sure that we give to the other what they might need, 
Uh, we, we make sure that we're, we're filling in gaps for one another whenever we notice gaps. So instead of saying, you didn't do this, you just jump in and do it for them. That kind of devotion to the relationship that, is, that exists in marriage, that's the same kind of devotion that exists between brothers and sisters in Christ. The same kind of attention we should be given to each other really should have tested out this animation on my PowerPoint before I did it. All right, next one is be generous. Be generous. Same passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Do you hear that? Now, again, I think the way we interpret that is this. If you hear about somebody's needs because they grew desperate enough to come ask, you should be willing to give them what you have in your pocket. Isn't that what we just heard? I mean, that's not what it says, but I think in a lot of ways that's what we just heard. No, what it says is pursue hospitality. Pursuing means you look for it. You look for the opportunities. You look for the, the ways in which you can step into someone else's life and be a blessing to them. That's what you do in God's people. You find ways to put yourself in the lives of others so that you can be there for them. I, I, I'm going to brag for a moment. Sunday afternoon, uh, last Sunday after, I think it was Sunday afternoon, I get a text from Joyce, bringing food Monday or Tuesday. Not, 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 not a, do you need something? Not a, what, what possible way could I step in? Because when we do that, it's really easy for people to go, no, no, we're good. We're fine. We're fine. We're good. No, it was a, food's coming. Which day's better? And not because she's pushy, but because she's generous. See, that's what we are to be to one another. That, that's how we find ways to step in and be there for each other. And, and that is absolutely the way God designed us to be. Be involved in one another's lives. Be compassionate. Same passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. All of that says, put yourself aside for the benefit or comfort of others. That's the definition of compassion. That, that's how you are to be compassionate. That you are to find ways in which you can sit with somebody in their grief. And you are to find ways in which you can rejoice with them and, and their accomplishments. And you are to find ways in which you can put yourself aside for the benefit of others. All of that is a part of being in God's family. The next one we learn is to be peaceful. 
Again, Romans 12, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, if, if possible, as much as possible, the, the New American Standard Version says, as much as possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Have you ever had those moments where you know you're right? And deep, deep down you feel like they should too? I mean, they, they need to know I'm right. I mean, that, the days, that, that's just what they deserve. That they need to be told, yeah, I already told you that. Or... Remember back that conversation we had where I warned you that if you did this stupid thing, this bad thing would happen, and now the bad thing has happened because you did the stupid thing I warned you about? Or you could say nothing. And instead of throwing something in their face, you could weep with them while they wept. Which one of those pursues peace which one of those offers them a deeper more comfortable relationship with you because that's what we should do if we are in fellowship with one another you learn when you talk about fellowship from scripture that we are to be genuine people and this is probably my favorite verse from Romans chapter 12 and I think it is probably put first in this section of of direction because it is uh, honestly the thing that all the rest of it helps us do. Chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Let love be genuine. Let it be real. Let it be heartfelt. Let it be something that is so true, it overflows from you in the way that you treat and talk and think about others. Let love be without hypocrisy. That, that means you, you don't come, and while we're here, you shake their hand, and you have, a, you, you have a smile on your face, but then on the way home, you're like, can you believe what? that ever happened? Nobody wants to nod. <laughs> I understand, because we all can nod at that. I, I, I get that. Or, or, or how many times have, have we uh, known the background information of somebody's life and that causes us to quit believing in their future? That's not okay for God's people. Love has to be genuine. Not put on, not faked, not put, you know, uh, hiding behind uh, some sort of plastered smile on your face. You must genuinely care about your brothers and your sisters. One more. Fellowship is spiritual. That was the rest of verse 9 there. Detest evil and cling to what is good. 
Now you can put that in kind of a human terms of we, we detest when bad things happen to others and we, we're excited when good things happen to others. But I, I think that's covered later with rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I, I think the point here is the basis of our relationship as brothers and sisters united by the blood of Christ beneath the, the authority and love and compassion of a, of a father that 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 relationship is going to be focused on eternal and spiritual and kingdom principles. And so when we gather together as God's people, we should be people who love to talk about God and God's things. I remember hearing some parents complain one time when we were having a teenage get-together, why do y'all have to do so much Bible study? And I went, why wouldn't we? I mean, and honestly, in, in that situation, we were studying the Bible maybe 15 minutes. Maybe. That was too much Bible study. Why would God's people get together and not want to talk about God and God's things? What, what an awesome opportunity and privilege it is to belong to God and to talk about him and to know him and to dwell on his goodness and to dwell on the hope we have in heaven and to be able to share those things. But you know what we often do? We get together and we complain about what we don't like about what we do now. Instead of dwelling on what good things God has done for us. But that segue me into complaining about what we do now, which I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not really, but, but I, I want to I give some cautionary statements before I move into this practical section. I, I detest giving practical suggestions in sermons. I, I'm a, first of all, I'm a 20,000 foot view kind of guy. I, I like to just overview things and do that with others and let them dwell on and think about the details. Uh, it, it, for several reasons, though, and, and it's not because I'm lazy and not because I don't want to get into those details, but because it comes across as if you have an agenda, and I don't. I, I don't have an agenda. As we get into talking about some specific things quickly, I just want us to learn to think deeply about why we do what we do and are there ways we can do what we do better? That, that's my only point. Uh, and, and sometimes getting into specific suggestion can take away from that. Uh, I have no real specific uh, agenda or idea of exactly how things should be done. I don't want to create the attitude or the idea that what we currently do is wrong or deficient in some way. Uh, it, something can be perfectly good and still made better. And, and, and that's kind of where I, I want us to think as we get into some of these specifics. And I'll also say as I, as I make a few suggestions, every suggestion has benefits and, and they have drawbacks. Everyone, everything we do because we are, are, are we make mistakes. So everything we do, even what currently do has good things about it and bad things about it. And if we were to change something, there would be good things about it and bad things about it. That, that's just kind of the nature of, of changes and the way things go. 
but I do want to get practical. And I want to make some practical suggestions, not that I necessarily think need to be done here, but things I've seen work in certain places that might work here, that might be beneficial uh, and, and could be helpful for us as we try to understand what it is God wants us to be doing in fellowship. So, um, let's jump in. Okay? First one is this. We need time when it is just our family. And I don't mean physical family like me and my wife and my five children, but us as a, as a community. We need time to be together where we know it is just us. One of the reasons for that is this. It becomes very difficult to truly grow intimate relationship if we're always having to be guarded. And, and that, that's why I believe you've got a clear distinction in Scripture between what, those who are inside and those who are outside. And there's a difference in the way that you treat those two groups of people. The statements we would make to one another and correction and rebuking and admonishing one another are not statements we should be making to the world around us. I have a high expectation of you because you are committed to the same God I'm committed to. I do not have that same expectation of the world. And so that means that me as a preacher, there is a difference in the way I should be able to speak to my brethren and in a way that I would speak if there were those who were not my brethren here. Because it's not my job to judge the outside. That's God. And, and so that makes a difference. There's also a difference in we are, as a people, commanded to fellowship one another, to be devoted to fellowshipping one another. We are not commanded to do that with the world. And honestly, there are dangers with doing that with the world. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 makes the point of you should not yoke yourself together in that kind of fellowship and a partnership with the world. And so it becomes important that we, we have time where it is just us. Very rarely do you see churches do that. We... we we are not wrong to do that. And I think there are a lot of benefits to us doing that because it would help us to truly understand who here we can have a high expectation of and who we should not. Some suggestions to make about that is, and, and that these have titles that are obviously uh, kind of... Uh, negative titles, but exclusive worship. I'm going to be honest, there, there's a biblical principle for exclusive worship. Where God's people can come together and it just be God's people. And in those times, that's when we can discuss the more difficult uh, topics that we might need to study as a group, or we can discuss the specific needs of members and, and, and brothers and sisters, and we can have uh, open conversation about things we're struggling with because we are in a safe environment of a family as opposed to being in an open environment where anyone and everyone could be here. There, there's biblical principle 
or, or precedence, that's the better word, biblical precedence for this. And I think it's something we should consider uh, as a group of God's people. Small groups can encourage openness and intimacy. Now, I'm going to tell you, I hate small groups. My wife is laughing at me for even putting this on the screen because on a personal level, I have never seen small groups done well. I'm sure it's happened, and I'm sure you know of some places where they are greatly appreciated and they are run well, but uh, typically speaking, it's rare. But I will say it is kind of difficult to come here on a Sunday and to gather together with, with 80 people uh, and, and, and have deep, intimate conversation because when you do, you feel like you've missed your opportunity to talk to 79 other people. And so what we do in order to accommodate the largeness of the group is we have very superficial and shallow conversation where we say, how you doing? Doing great. Good to see you. And there's little depth, little intimacy, and honestly, very little openness. I, I appreciate Marge whenever I ask her how she's doing and she's not feeling well. She'll go, not great. And she doesn't expect me to dig deeply into that, but I appreciate the fact that she's willing to be open about that. Because what do the most of the rest of us do? Doing good, even though inside we're breaking or we're struggling or we've been fighting some sort of difficulty or we're worried about finances or worried about life, worried about something. And, but it's because of the environment. This environment is not conducive for openness and intimacy. And so I think there can be a, a great benefit to groups and helping fellowship to grow deeper. Exactly how that is done, I've got plenty of opinions, but the fact that maybe it should be done, and maybe not even necessarily as a formal directive from the elders, but it's just us getting together in small groups that we've started ourselves because we want to be together. That's the best way to do it. We need to start having those small gatherings where we can grow closer. Constant communication is key. Talking. I've been involved in many different churches over the years, and I'm going to tell you, the one thing that I, I can consistently say is a failure in every group I've ever been in is communication. Now, that, that is not true. I mean, there will be small pockets that communicate well, but the whole group as a whole, and especially these days where communication has become varied and impersonal, meaning now it's emails, Facebook, Instagram, social media of all different sorts, and then you also have texting and you have uh, a bulletin boards and websites, and so you've got different ways that the church communicates and, and then it gets frustrating because some news goes out on some pieces of the commu- uh, of some areas and then not in other areas and then people feel left out and, and it can be very frustrating. 
And then you add to that the fact that our media, because of the way media works, we're very good at communicating on an impersonal level and it, it's almost like we've been trained to not communicate on a deeper personal level. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I think if I were to ask for a show of hands of how many people talk on the phone to three people this week on a personal level, probably less than half of the hands would go up, and the hands that did go up would be our older generation. Because we as a whole don't, don't call, we don't talk, we don't sit down on front porches uh, with, with a glass of, of iced tea anymore. And we need to. We need to. Yes, that takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy, but that's why we're told they continually devoted themselves to fellowship. It takes devotion. Another one is we got to create opportunities for community. Generally speaking, we in the church, because we have tried to shy away from any sort of programs or any sort of non-worship-based activities, we have very few opportunities for service and for working together on projects and things that we're passionate about. We as a church need to create those. And again, I am, and you're going to see this in a minute, I am not necessarily saying these need to be formalized decisions made from the top down. That's not really an elder's job to administrate more activities. So I'm not leaning on them when I make these kind of comments. I am saying maybe we need to, as individuals, step up, and I might send out an email that says, hey, guys, I'm going to go do this thing. Come do it with me. And you get people to get involved. Uh, we, we saw that a few days ago with Keith and Alyssa moving into their apartment. They needed a truck unloaded, so a bunch of us showed up to unload a truck. And, and it was just a way for us to work together and serve somebody else. Those are opportunities for us to function as a community. We need more of that. And, and not necessarily all the same types of things, because not everybody wants to climb in a truck and unload it. Or is physically capable of that. So maybe it can be a, 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 a sewing project. Or maybe it can be some sort of, uh, of, of administrative task getting a, a VBS ready. That to me is the single best benefit of VBS. Is that it's an opportunity for a community to come together and work and function as a community. That's really the benefit we've had over the years. More of those opportunities can be great. Another one is we've got to understand that natural growth will create enthusiastic evangelism and, fellow, and faithful worship. Here's what I mean by that. I think one of the problems most churches have, have, have created for themselves is they pursue evangelism programs. And evangelism programs rarely work. You know what makes evangelism work? Enthusiastic disciples. That's what makes it work. And that's the reason I'm harping so heavy on the concept of fellowship 
for these three months is because we need to create more enthusiasm for what God has blessed us to be a part of. And I'm not saying fabricate it. I'm saying create opportunities where we genuinely and naturally grow more enthusiastic. When you do that, growth happens naturally. Better worship happens naturally. We try to fabricate it with environmental changes or, or with decisions that are made, and that's not really where the changes are done. Changes happen here and in every single one of us. But that change happens here by me finding myself more intimately involved with God and his people. So that's why I think it's important for us to talk about this. I truly believe that fellowship is the key to less rules and more obedience. You get a group of people who are thrilled and excited to be together week after week after week, and they just can't wait to get there, and people are showing up 45 minutes early, and they're still around an hour and a half after the service ends because they don't want to be away from each other and they have more they want to say and they want to have a greater conversation and depth of relationship and they're so enthusiastic about being together. That kind of group grows. That kind of group, you don't have to put out rules about, well, you need to show up for worship. You, you won't have to. You'll have a hard time getting them to stop coming to worship or to leave once it's over. One of my favorite things about camp, every year, the camp roll fills up within, I think it was two hours this year, 370 campers sign up within the course of two hours and there's a waiting list. And when camp is over, it's like you have to put on steel toe boots and kick them off the campus so that they'll go away so that the adults can go home and get some sleep. Why, why is that? Do they all show up and sign up as early as possible and, and sit and literally wait by a computer to put their sign-in information because they were told to? or because it's their expectation, or because there's a rule they're trying to follow, or is it because they want to be there? Why is it that it's hard to get them to go home? Because they want to be there. Because they have fellowship there. You don't have to make rules. They, they are glad to keep whatever rules are there so that they can have a greater experience and opportunity to be there. Most of them. The same is true in God's people. You don't have to herd and control God's people when they are truly connected to God and the people. Then I think it's important to realize each person has a role to play. Every person. And again, we've talked about that through many different passages of Scripture, but my favorite is Ephesians chapter 4, where it says, 
From him, the whole body, being fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promises the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. How does the body function correctly? By every single member devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. That's how. That's how it works. If every person made it their business, their passion, to do everything they can to build up the body of Christ, the body of Christ can't be stopped. But you know what I've seen in most places I've been over the years? Same thing you see in the world. There's a thing in, in the business world called the 80-20 rule. And several of you are nodding your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The 80-20 rule is the idea that 80% of the people will do 20% of the work and that 20% of the people will do 80% of the work. And I'm going to revise that to say that only half of that equation is true. What I've seen over the years is that you've got 20% of the people that do 80% of the work and the other 20% goes undone because 80% of the people aren't doing anything. That's what I've noticed. That's why you've got so many particularly small churches spread out all over America that are shutting their doors right now. And the reason they're shutting their doors is because nobody's doing anything. I had a gentleman talk to me just uh, Friday. And he came to me and he said, you know, I, I'm leaving the, that I'm a part of because I am at this teaching, and he's, he's not a preacher, that at this point in our small group, I am teaching every sermon, teaching every Bible class. And generally, I'm not even just doing the sermon. I'm also leading the singing, leading the Lord's Supper table, because there are other men who can but won't. Just won't. And he says, I've had that conversation with them, and, and they all agree they need to do more, but when it really comes down to it, they won't do it. He said, just the other day, I've got a, an email at, at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night that said, well, sorry you can't make it. Ben will have something to say. And it was shoved back towards my friend. That's sad. Now, for that particular group, he is so burnt out. He is so frustrated. What's going to happen if he leaves? That's a big burden to lay on any one person. When the truth is, the only way the church works, the way God designed it, and how God explained it there in Ephesians chapter 4, is if every individual, or the proper working of every individual part, I want you to take a minute, and hopefully more than a minute, to think about yourself. You. I'm making no accusations when I ask you to think about yourself. 
but I want you to think about yourself. Are you doing what you are capable of doing? Are you stepping up and doing all that you can? That, that, that's for you to decide. And I think it's important for each of us to have that conversation with ourselves because it is the way God designed the church to work. If we want the church to thrive the way God demanded and asked for it to thrive, we have to each individually be continually devoted to what God has designed for us to be a part of. So you need to ask yourself that question. Now, I, I don't know. It might be, Adam, I'm not doing anything, but I don't know what there is that I can do. <laughs> oh, we got work for you. There's always something to be done. So if you want to do the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord is abundantly available for you to do. What is it that Jesus told his disciples? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And while I believe that was dealing more with evangelism, I think it is true in every area of the work that the church does. If we will be willing workers, there is more harvest available. And I hope we will be willing workers. I tell you, it's an amazing thing that God gave us the opportunity to be a part of. And if you're not a part of this, this work, this body, let us help you with that. Let us teach you what it means to have your sins washed away and made right with God and added to God's family. Or maybe, maybe it's that you're a part of God's family, but you're not a part of this family. Become part of us. We are working hard to do what God has called us to do, and we need more workers. And we invite you to come be a part of that, to come be a part of the benefit that comes belonging to God's people. If you need the invitation to get your life right, or if we can pray for you or help you in any way, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.